Well, good morning. How are you today? Good. I am good. I am um, back upright. My, um, my family has had a rough few weeks. Um, my wife and, I've, and my oldest daughter, Gracie, all had COVID, and the first week of it was just miserable. Um, and so we're kind of coming out of that now and so thankful to um, get to see the sunlight. Thank you for the thoughts and the prayers and the calls and the, the text messages and the gifts. Um, just you've been so generous to us and taking care of us when we couldn't really take care of ourselves. So thank you. Um, the other thing I want to say, I've had several parents say they're really nervous about coming back to church because they're not sure their kids are going to be able to behave because they haven't been here in a year and they don't know how to sit. So let me just say to you, especially if you're at home and you're, you're thinking, I don't know if we can come back, I want your kids here and they can make all the noise they need to make. It is perfectly fine if, if anyone looks at you strangely because of it, come tell me. I will call them out the next week. Um, no, I, I never want to be at a church where it is quiet because there are no kids. If, if it is, we have a serious problem. So parents, um, please feel free to allow your kids to be kids um, because we need that in our churches. Um, to our students in 101, 102, we are so glad you are with us um, and we hope this weekend has been a blessing to you. Um, we're so excited that God is working in your life. And then to you at home, um, again, welcome. We are so glad. So we're in a series called New. Um, it's been a couple of weeks. Ben um, did, and then Mike did his own thing last week. And so we're going to kind of jump back into this series. Um, I'm not really sure where we're going to go because I had this all planned out. Today was supposed to be the end of this, um, but we still have more to get through. And so... Um, We'll figure it out, um, and we might just jump into part two of the, the sermon trilogy um, next, or on Easter. I don't, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Um, that's, like Doug said, that's been the motto for the last year, is flexibility. So, all right. So, I need your thinking caps on. Your, your quick-witted, really quick response. Because I'm going to show you a phrase, and it's a fill-in-the-blank. And so I want you to feel free to fill in the blank loudly and quickly. First thing, when, when we put this up, first thing that pops in your mind. So it's a fill-in-the-blank. So it is, blank is pure. Heard God Art, okay. Any, anything else? Jesus, love, okay. Here, here's some things I, I thought of, okay. So a baby, a baby is pure, right? You, you hold a newborn baby and it's just, wow. There, there's this sense of this pureness, this just essence of this child that nothing has, has happened to. Um, gold. Gold is pure. Um, and I'm sure all of us would like to have a couple of those bars. Be, be lovely to have some pure gold. Um, water is pure, right? Water 
Maybe not that water so pure anymore. Um, At one point it was pure, and you can still get pure water today. It comes in a bottle a lot of times now. Um, for, For our sports fans, his swing was pure, right? I mean, if you are a baseball fan, King Griffey Jr., just the most beautiful, beautiful swing, um, and, and was pure. How many people said this, I am pure? A- anyone? That's me. I am pure. There, there's something within all of us that when we see a statement like that, we kind of push back and say, not me. It, which is kind of funny because we come to church and a lot of times this is how we act. It's the mask we put on for everyone else. Like we're, we're okay and we got it all together and, and we don't really have problems. It's the other people. And if the other people out there would get their act together like us in here, then everything would be good. But at the same time, we would never say, I am pure. But if you go back to Jesus' day, there was a group of people, and I believe they would have probably answered the question with this, I am pure. And they were this group called the Pharisees. And if you remember, um, back to the last time I preached, we're asking this question in this series, who is Jesus? And we're allowing Mark to put different people in different groups on the witness stand to give their testimony as to the answer to this important question, who is Jesus? And the reason the question is so important is because every single one of us must answer this question for ourselves. Every single person must answer this question simply because of who Jesus claims to be. So who is Jesus? And this week we put the Pharisees back on the witness stand to allow them to give their testimony to this question, who is Jesus? And again, they have a problem with who Jesus is claiming to be. So in Mark 7, starting in verse 1, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. This this was a trek, okay? They've come from Jerusalem to see Jesus. This is not like, hey, we walked across the street. They've they've come a long way to investigate, right? And there's there's not cars. They're they're on foot. They're on donkeys or camels or horses or, or however they got around, okay? They came from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus, and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, um, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. And so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, 
why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? So they had these traditions. And if you were to look back, if you were to look back in the Old Testament, you wouldn't necessarily find these laws. Well, you have to wash your hands. Is that me? There. Maybe that'll work. Okay. Where were we? We wouldn't have, yeah, there's not like laws on how to wash your hands and how to clean the pitchers that you're going to use and all these different things. This is a tradition, and it was at Jesus' time an oral tradition. It was something they started, and they said, this is how you do it, and it was passed on from generation to generation to generation. Now, here's the thing. I believe completely and fully when they began doing this, they had the absolute best intentions in the world in doing it. I believe this made them feel closer to God, more holy, more righteous. It was one of those things that they did, I think, to put themselves in proper relationship with God. But what happens over time is that tradition became something that was so important that to everyone in this community, it became the same as God's law. God said you're supposed to do this, and we're saying you're supposed to do this. And what originally had the purpose of, I think, drawing them into relationship and closer to God actually begins to push them away because they held these traditions in such great esteem. that This was important. This was how you relate to God. And so Jesus is questioned by this group of Pharisees, why don't your disciples do what we do in relationship to God. Why don't you act, follow our traditions because these are important to us. Whenever we talk about traditions in churches, all of us, every single one of us has traditions that other people think are important that we turn our nose up at. I can promise you there are some. And I promise you, you have some traditions that you think are super, super important that other people turn their nose up at, right? All of us have them. And so I think it's interesting because so many times I want to turn my nose up at the Pharisees and say, how can y'all? But I do it too. I take things that are just the way that we've always done them, and I make them important. Things that in the beginning probably had a really important reason and had an aspect that really drew me closer to God that's become a tradition, and I've lost sight of the reason that we do it. 
And so they questioned Jesus. Why do your disciples not do and follow our traditions? Why aren't you doing the things that we do? And here's Jesus' response. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules, and you have let go of the commandments of God and are holding on to human traditions. He he uses this word, hypocrites. And the word in Greek is hypocrites, and it's a stage actor or a performer. It's one who wears a mask. So, So he looks at these Pharisees, and said, you're basically playing a game. You're you're wearing this mask to present yourself as righteous and holy, when in fact, the reason you're doing it is just simply to look righteous and holy. Back in the beginning, we began doing this to draw us closer to God. And that was the purpose. But somewhere along the way, we lost sight of our motives in doing it. Right? We just started doing this because of the way it makes us look. It was their motives that became the problem. I don't think Jesus would say, I have this real big problem with you washing your hands and washing these kettles and pitchers. It's, that is the problem. I don't think Jesus is saying that. I think what Jesus is getting at is somewhere along the way, their motives got crossed. And they started doing these things not to draw them deeper into relationship with God. But they started doing these things so that they looked more holy and more righteous than everyone else. And the problem when we do that is our heart takes a hit. The the problem when the tradition, for the tradition's sake, becomes our norm we've lost sight of the reason of it in the first place. And that is difficult to free yourself from. So he calls them these hypocrites, these stage actors, these people that are wearing a mask, pretending to have it all together. Now, and I know, you know things are so much different now. We don't do that, Right? We don't pretend to have it all together. Like we don't have problems. Or do we? Do we pretend at times that everything is okay? And in some way try to elevate our righteousness by what we do. See, the problem was not what they were doing. The problem was why they are doing it. 
And what I've loved about the book of Mark in, in his gospel is he is constantly challenging our assumptions and categorizations of people and things as holy and unholy, as pure and impure, as righteous and unrighteous. Jesus is constantly challenging our assumptions and constantly bringing purity to that which was impure. That which with all the religious leaders, all the Pharisees, all the teachers of law would look and say, that is impure. And Jesus is constantly saying, no, 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 we're, we're seeing this wrong. Because the ones who look like they're pure and look like they have it all together have a really big heart problem. And the ones who look like they're falling apart and look like they aren't relating to God are actually in the perfect place to be healed by God and used by God for his glory. It's a condition of the heart. And so he points out that they found these loopholes in the system, right? You say, the law says, honor your father and mother, but we, we can say, well, this, this is devoted to God, and so we're not really going to, to worry about that. Because it's devoted to God, we don't have to give this to our parents. We don't have to take care of them. And Jesus says, you think you found this loophole, but, but the problem, it goes back to the most important command, Jesus says, is love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That, I think, includes your parents. Like, honor your father and mother. That, that's a law. That's a commandment. And you're holding your tradition of ceremonially washing your hands in higher regard than loving your parents and honoring them and honoring and loving your family and your friends and your neighbors. And if you ever get those mixed up, if you ever get those mixed up, we have a serious heart problem. But let me, let me tell you this. It is so easy to do. And it's so easy to show up week after week in church. Because we're used to it. And somewhere along the way, we lost sight of the reason why. Is it important that we gather? Absolutely. But the purpose behind us gathering, the purpose of us getting together, is not so that we become more righteous or more holy because we're here. But the purpose of us gathering is that collectively we turn our minds and our hearts toward Christ, allowing him to transform us and make us righteous and holy. Not, not that we would gather so that we are righteous and holy, because we have it all together and we believe the right, but because we believe that together, collectively, we are seeking the face of Jesus and he is transforming who we are from the inside out. And somewhere along the way, 
The Pharisees, who I believe, I, I do, I believe they had the best intentions. But somewhere along the way, they lost sight of the purpose of it. So I want to ask a question this morning. And I think COVID, in a way, has shaken this up so much that it's pulled us out of our routines and probably some good from that. But there's still the question, what is the reason behind what you do? Are you gathering here because we're supposed to? Or are you gathering because collectively, as the people of God, we are seeking Him and allowing Him to transform everything about us, making us righteous? Or was it you coming here so that you would be righteous. That just showing up would be enough. See, they lost sight of the purpose. See, because these traditions that we have are not bad. I mean, we, we turn our nose up at some of them. But I promise you, you have them, I have them. We all, if we could just simply be honest about that, we have them. But never, never allow the motives and the reasons for what we do to become the purpose of it. All right? It's a means to help transform us and change us collectively to walk together with the people of God in community. That's the purpose. It's not just simply that we show up and together we're made whole because we were here. So he goes on. Again, verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me. Everyone, and understand this, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of the person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Going on. He went on, and what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of the person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. These evils come from inside and defile a person. I, I thought, go back to that last verse there, Dustin. I think what's really interesting to me is these first four that he talks about, sexual immorality, theft, murder, 
adultery, all are kind of a distinctive act, right? It's something that you can see visibly, possibly. But, but with sexual immorality, there's an act to it. With theft, there is an act. There's something you're doing. With murder or adultery, there's something you do. But then when you get to the next eight of them, greed. You, you can see evidence of greed, but I can be greedy right now and you not know it. Right? I can be envying you and you not know it. Now, I think eventually you see evidence of that. But these are things that are inside. And Jesus says those things live in your hearts. And I would even say those are seeds to some of the things that we would say are bigger problems. Right? So, so greed and envy and deceit, we could say lead to theft. Like, they're, they're seeds that start out there, but, but they grow, right? They, they grow within us. We, we can look at these different ones, and I think when we talk about greed and malice and deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly, those are things that are really difficult to see. And in fact... You could be struggling with every single one of those and be here on a Sunday morning and no one know. And my guess is, as we put that list up there, there's at least one or two or three of them that lives in you. And the reason I would say that is because they live in me. And I see seeds of them at times. And see, here's the problem. Here's the problem. When we come for the purpose of the tradition, we never really focus on what's inside. And if we never focus on what's inside, eventually what is inside will grow into something that is out of control. And it will start to strangle the life out of you. You want to know how to kill yourself spiritually? Live your life with greed and malice and deceit and lewdness and envy and slander and arrogance and folly. Live your life with that going on on the inside and never address it. And just come to church and make sure everything in your life looks like it's okay. And I can promise you that is the recipe for a spiritual train wreck. Like, at some point, you will crash and burn. And I think the reason Jesus is calling them out is not just simply because they're calling him out. Because he needs to call all of us out. Because all of us have a tendency to fall into this trap. They're seeds. See, and, and what we want to do is we want to look and we want to define, here's who's clean, here's unclean, here's pure and um, impure. We want to put them in these categories, and Jesus is constantly challenging those categories. Who, who looks righteous 
oh, it's the Pharisees, of course. They look like they have it all together. Here's the problem. They lost sight of the purpose behind what they were doing long ago, and their hearts have been suffocating since. I would just ask you this morning, is your heart suffocating? Is your heart kind of on life support? Because you've gotten so good at showing up and making that the purpose that we would be here rather than the purpose becoming us collectively as the people of God, the community of God, seeking Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and allowing Him to transform and change everything about us. See, what what goes into our body is not what makes us unclean. I would say what goes into your body has an effect on what comes out, but it's not what makes you unclean, right? Coming here, gathering together, being the people of God collectively, I promise you that has an effect on what comes out, especially if you don't lose sight of the purpose in doing so. It affects you reading and praying on your own and seeking God in relationship with him and studying. I promise you it has an effect on what comes out. But it does not make you clean because you're doing it. And Jesus is very clear. Here's the problem. You made the purpose in... (coughs) Excuse me. Excuse me. You made the purpose in all of these things... Doing them. And that was never the intention. The purpose wasn't just to do them, to do them. But it was so that you would be transformed, that you would be changed. You remember back a couple weeks, we, we said, Jesus is the healer of the most contagious sickness of all. And it's not COVID. It's sin. And constantly, Jesus challenges our perceptions, our assumptions. In verse 24, there's a lady Jesus left that place and he went to the vicinity of Tyre and he entered a house and he did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence a secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was Greek, born in Syria, Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive out the demon of her daughter, out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. I know there's a whole sermon right there in that one verse, but um, we're going to kind of run past that. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found the child lying on the bed. And the demon was gone. Again, 
challenging the assumptions. What is pure, what is holy, what is righteous, not a Gentile woman. But yet, her faith was in what Jesus could do in and through her life. Right? It was about her presence. Her purpose for being before Jesus was not to show you that I am holy and righteous and just. Her whole purpose for being in the presence of Jesus was she desperately needed Jesus. Can I remind you that we stand in the same place as this woman. We desperately need Jesus. And the problem that we talked about several weeks ago is all of us struggle to see sin as a problem we're incapable of fixing. We, we all think we can fix it on our own. And what this woman realizes is this problem with the impure spirit. I am incapable of fixing it on my own. I need you. My question this morning for you, regardless of where you are in your relationship and your walk with Christ, do you have that realization of how badly you need Jesus? Do you, do you have the realization that we are broken and hurting and in need of someone to step in and save the day? Or has your mindset just become like the Pharisees where it's, we do all the right things. But regardless of how right the things they were doing were, their motives in doing them had completely gotten lost. And there's my question. Have you lost sight of your motives? Have you lost sight of why you're in relationship? Is it, have you lost sight of why we do church and gather together? Have you lost sight of so many things that we think are so important and are really important as long as the motives behind them are right and pure? Because it's not those things that we're doing that are making us holy and pure. It's God working in us. Because here's the honest thing about being a follower of Jesus, being a believer in him who has been baptized into him, who has been died to themselves and raised to a new life, is you can say with confidence, I am pure. You can say that with 100% confidence, I am pure, not because you are here, not because you sing the songs, not because you know the scripture, but because Jesus has transformed and changed your life and his blood covers you and you are pure. And you say it not as this royal person who's got it all figured out, but as a beggar 
a peasant saying, God, we need you. See, as we gather around this table, we come as beggars needing God's salvation, needing God to feed us, gathering around a table not because we're supposed to do that, but gathering around a table because it is that table that unites us together collectively as the people of God as we pursue him. Let's come to the table together to be made whole through the blood of Christ. Father, today, we pray in this place that your presence would surround us. Father, that your presence would give us life. Father, we worship you. We thank you. Father, it is because of Jesus that we have hope. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen.